I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. There's a lot going on in the NBA right now. I'm joined by Mr. Wayne Breezy and Tim Shields to start breaking this down. Today's been an interesting day. Guys, how you doing? How you doing, Wayne? doing good man i'm doing really good man can't wait to talk about some stuff that's going down but you tim has life treating you bro doing all right just enjoying the nice sunny weather during the start of my furlough so just getting into a little bit more nba topics is always going to be what i want to do with my free time <laughs> yo it's warm here too the problem here i don't know if it's the same where you are but because it's such a wet climate when it's warm like it is now it's so humid dude i feel like yeah. i like just run a plastic bag for the air and it's going to be full of water at the end of it yike yeah it's pretty bad around here i'm hoping we get some rain soon get it to cool down a little bit but yeah, yeah it's supposed to storm rain here tomorrow so it, it should cool down here in connecticut yeah we got that friday so okay so today's the the first day that the rust is officially opened up for transactions trades can't happen Two way, but you can sign your two ways to full NBA contracts. You can br- start bringing in substitute players, and you can also, if you're able to, pick guys off off waivers or pick up free agents. So some news came out earlier. The way this is going to work for teams is going to be 17 man rosters, but those extra two positions are based from your two way guys. Usually, as you enter the playoffs, any guys on a two way contract become ineligible and they sit out the playoffs. Due to everything that's been going on with the pandemic, the league has decided to allow two-way guys to be eligible not only for the final eight games, but for the playoffs too. So we could be seeing some Taco, we could be seeing some Tremont Waters. But here's where it gets a little bit quirky, and us three have spoke about this in our group chat. The Celtics don't have any roster spots to start picking guys up off the waivers or picking free agents up. Unless one of the roster decides to sit out, not take part, or they come down with an injury that stops them from playing, or they contract COVID, then the Celtics roster that is currently intact is what will be going into Disney World. How are you guys feeling about that? Yeah, um, it's it's a little, it's what it is. I mean, I, we should be ready to ride with that. You know what I'm saying? We've had this roster um, all season long. We've been wanting to see first. As a Celtic fan, you've been wanting to see your roster full steam ahead, you know, bearing no injuries. Like, you just want that roster in there and those guys, you know, in the rotation some way, somehow. So, with that being said, I'm I'm 100% okay with not being able to pick up a free agent spot um, due to the fact that our roster is, is stuck, is stacked, right? So... I'm pretty cool with that. Like, it doesn't bother me. Now, if something does happen to go down um, to where a guy decides, they say, hey, man, you know, I want to spend time with my family. I'm not going to be able to join you guys or whatnot. And that's been happening across the league. There's, a few, there's some players that have been saying things like that or due to injury or whatnot. Um, then it does open up that chance where the Celtics to pick up one of the, the one of the guys that may be free agents, which we could discuss later on in the show. But, Tim, how do you feel about it? I'm personally along the same lines. I think the biggest takeaway for me is if there are any players that don't feel like playing due to contract risks, a guy that honestly comes to mind when I think about it is if there's any of the two-way guys that don't feel comfortable coming back, 
that could open up a, a possibility for the Celtics to make a move. Or even a guy like, let's say, Javante Green, who I don't believe is extended through next season. His money, if it is, is not guaranteed. He's one of those guys that if we waive, there'd be no financial implications. So a player like that might be kind of considering their options only because if the worst were to happen, if they get COVID, if they have a serious case of it, or if there's an injury that they sustain while in Orlando, whether in the playoffs or those eight games, that could be something that weighs in their mind, especially going into free agency. There's not too many teams that have money to throw around, but an in-the-bench guy or an in-the-bench wing who can defend athletic, can shoot the three at, to some extent, those guys are valuable. And, of course, they're guaranteed to get some kind of money or contract somewhere. So those are players that I would worry about more so. I could see them trying to add somebody, but I only think that's going to be the case if somebody decides to not play or if it's a matter of, someone gets sick with COVID. I don't know. I don't think the transaction window will be going on during the eight games, right? So that's very fluid at the moment. The NBA have set like a deadline, but that's a very fluid deadline. If a player contracts COVID while the tournament's going on, then the team can sign a replacement player for the duration of the infected player for a lack of a better term their recovery period once that infected player is recovered and he's able to play if that happens during the time that the team's still part of the NBA landscape then they will be able to return that's what I understand from it so far that's probably the only outcome I think that the Celtics end up signing somebody barring one of the players deciding to sit out just because I don't I don't see them waving someone to bring someone on even the situation with Taco Fall, which we've talked about, whether you think he's a project or not, I don't think he's going to get waived by the Celtics. They're also kind of thin at the four and five when it comes down to it, when you look at just having a pure center. Not to say that Taco is a pure center. He's very much a project, but he's better to be in the – it's better to have somebody who's been in the system than to go ahead and just grab a veteran free agent off the market, in my opinion. So – I really don't see them making a move unless they really, really have to. I don't think that they dislike the group of players they've got. I think they fit together well, and I don't think they want to mess with that too much. So here's another wrinkle to the infected player clause. I don't know what it's actually called. I'm making this term up as we go along. So if Jason Tatum, for example, using him due to his high impact that he's going to have for this team, if he was to contract COVID-19 and say he was out for three weeks, and the Celtics brought in a substitute guy to basically fill that number, that roster spot for three weeks. You cannot bring in a temporary replacement that has anything more than three years of NBA experience, which really narrows down your player pool. It really does. Wait, so you can't bring in anyone who's had three or more years of NBA experience? Yeah, because it's only for, a, it's only for that period that your initial roster guy is out with the symptoms of COVID-19, whether he's asymptomatic or symptomatic, but you can only bring in, and Keith Smith put this out in the article today that he released. If a player becomes ill with COVID-19 during the play-in or playoffs, the team can replace that player with a replacement player that must have three years or less of an NBA service for the period that the original player is out. So that pretty much narrows down the Celtics to getting nobody. So there's no, that's not, no Isaiah Thomas, no... Right? I mean, these guys are have experience. The, that's mainly just for guys who 
need to get replaced due to contracting COVID-19. So that's just going to be for guys who get infected. So right now, if they were to waive anybody or if somebody wanted to sit it out, Correct. then you would be able to sign a guy like Isaiah Thomas or Jamal Crawford, Correct. Cousins, name, insert big veteran name here. So what it does do, though, however, is it's going to give opportunities for guys who are in the G League or who have been back and forth with their own, you know, respected teams. So if you're looking at Tremont Waters, the two-way player, maybe there's another guy down in, or up in Maine that you want to try and add to the roster in case somebody gets sick. You can do that kind of situation. So that's you, really you could interesting also, caveat. You could also be looking at guys like, uh, is it Bryce Brown, Kayser Gates? There's a couple of guys that are in Maine that have kind of been knocking on the door for a while. Yante Matten's another guy too, depending on what position the guy gets sick with. The biggest thing for me is there's not really much maneuverability for the Celtics. If they waive a guy, like Tim said, it needs to be somebody that doesn't have money on the books next season because the last thing they want to do is have to go into next season with dead cap when they're already really messed up for cap space. Javante Green's non-guaranteed for next year at 1.5 mil or partially guaranteed. So he would be a very good option, uh, depending on what you want to do with Shemi. Sammy could be another option. He's also won a low amount of money. But everybody's been saying, and Danny Ainge said this as well at the time, around about the trade deadline, they were looking at getting full health rather than bringing in anyone new. They're very confident with their team when they're healthy. I think we all are, though. That That's the point. Like, um, when we watch the Celtics with a healthy squad, is they're a really hard team to beat, even with the rotations. I know we talk about bringing in guys that could come off the bench, get them some points, and I think we were saying that mainly because you know we were lack of health, like we 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 had guys injured that couldn't do it, so we were like, oh, let's go pick up this guy, let's get this guy. We need we need we need help at size and 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 at the four or the five spot. Let's pick up this guy, you know. I wanted to ask you guys a question because you talked about Taco Fall being one of those, uh, probably those one of those two-way players. So with that being said, like, do you really see Taco in the rotation? And if 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 not, then why are we giving him a spot? Like, get a guy that you know that's going to, you know, you get what I'm saying? Like, get a guy that can can fulfill the spot, and maybe you wave him, and you might get him back later on down the road, like. I mean, we've talked about it before, and I know Adam has really strong opinions on Taco, so I will turn the floor over to him in a moment, but <laughs> I just don't – I could see them giving him small rotation minutes, but I think he he has to be able to play at NBA speed. It doesn't matter how many minutes he's going to get. It just – he has to play at NBA speed, and I don't know if we've really seen that. I don't know how much that's changed. I know Adam's had discussions with the coach of the Red Claws uh, – Coach Ehrman, I believe. So looking at that situation, I think you look at the optics of it too. A lot of people like Taco. He's a fan favorite. I don't know if that's the best vibe to go ahead and just cut a guy just to bring on another vet. But maybe they try and find a spot for him in the rotation. I'd love to see what Adam thinks though. Yeah, so the first thing is Taco already has that two-way contract sewn up until the end of the playoffs. So he will be going into Disney World with them because it's a 17-man roster now. Taco has that two-way contract, so he will be a part of the franchise once they hit Disneyland. Whether they Disney World, sorry. Whether they everyone's Disneyland to us English people, please don't judge me. Whether or not they give him rotation minutes is a completely different scenario. 
I put out an X Factor piece today for Celtics blog, basically looking at guys at the seventh or eighth position off the bench that are going that could possibly be X Factors that could change games. I left Taco off that list. I did give him a little bit of a honourable mention towards the end, but my biggest fear is you don't just have to operate at NBA speed. Now you have to operate at NBA playoff physicality. So now not, do you only, not only do you have to keep up with the guys up and down the floor, but you have to match the physicality of the playoffs. You're talking about putting Taco in when teams will respond by putting their biggest guy in. So if you're against the Raptors, he's going to be tasked with dealing with Marc Gasol. If you're against the Sixers, then he's going to be tasked with Embiid. Those type of bigs stretch the floor. They will pull Taco out of the paint, which makes him a lot less effective they will scheme to make sure they pull him as far away from the rim as possible. And that might not always happen, but on the plays it does, he's going to get burnt. You can't go, in my opinion, you cannot go from G League, where you didn't even lead the league in blocks or rebounds, I don't think, to NBA playoff level without having a decent run in gen- in the regular season. I don't think cutting him's going, waving him's going to be an option because if you do, you can only bring another guy in on a two-way. So if you do that, you're just you're doing it to call up another guy from the red claws. I don't think the talent level's there to really bring him up because if you're cutting a two-way guy, you're bringing in another two-way guy, which doesn't really matter. It's a short-term contract either way. They're going to get to play in the playoffs, so I could see why it happened. I think Taco gets minutes. Um I think they won't put him in those type of situ- I think that they won't um they won't allow him to get into those type of situations which you just said. I know that teams will scheme him to pull him out um as that rim protector. I get it. I would like to I I would honestly like to see Taco, you know, and and Tim talked about his game speed. I would like to see him run out to that three-point line and just put his hands up to affect the shot. Like I like I know that's not realistic, but it can possibly happen, and it could be something that we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it, just 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 a fingertip in the air can probably change the trajectory of a Marcus Saul or a Joel Embiid shot. Now, I think Embiid would try to be physical with him because Taco Taco's still not the more physical player, most physical player, excuse me. But if they do pull him out against those teams that like to stretch the stretch bigs. I would love to see Taco. You know what, guys? We're we're. I know we want to win the playoffs. I know we want to win that that championship. But I really think we go into the playoffs with the most secure team and bench. We might not have the best players at every position, but you put this team together and they play at 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 a Brad Stevens level of, of what they're supposed to be playing at. They're gonna be tough to beat and. Teams are going to have to scheme and match up against us as well. So it's not like, it, you know, we're, we got to worry about the other team. They're going to have to worry about us because we got some weapons. Go ahead, Tim. I think the one thing I will say with the whole Taco Fall situation, I just don't – I think there's just too many ways to exploit him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be expecting much out of him. And it's not that I dislike him. I just think with the way that – play is stopped in where he was at minutes wise in terms of development the G League getting paused for play so he hasn't been doing that the rest of their season got canceled so I just I just don't have those kind of expectations for him I think 
I think at most he's a, he's a rotational big. He's a rotational big that gives you 10, 15 minutes a night. I don't think he's going to be some kind of specialist. I don't think he's going to be someone that you can just throw out to, you know, the arc trying to defend any kind of plays like that. I just, I just don't see that development. I could be wrong. Who knows? But I really just don't see him developing into that. And that's okay. You know, I just don't want to have those kind of expectations, especially for a two-way player that at the full NBA level has not really demonstrated anything except getting some garbage minutes and getting some garbage time buckets. And granted, that gets the crowd pumped up, and it's cool to watch, and I love supporting it. But from a real just analytical standpoint, I just don't see it working like that. So the only way you're going to get good defensive minutes out of Taco is you're either going to play him in between the helplines and tell him this is your this is your perimeter. You stay within the, the high and low helpline, and you do that exactly. You close out on drives and you alter shots. You can put him there, and in pick and roll coverage, you play him in drop defense. They're your two options. When we're talking about a guy that people are just expecting to come in and dominate, he played twenty three point three minutes per game for the Red Claws, so he wasn't able to play high minutes. Then you look at. He finished six overall in rebounds, which for a seven-foot guy, everyone's saying, oh, you know, he's going to protect the boards. He's going to clean the glass. Couldn't even finish in the top five in the G League. I know I'm picking hairs here, but we're talking about bringing a guy in and letting him have large portion. Well, people want him to have large minutes, 10 to 15 minutes on a playoff run, and he couldn't crack top five rebounds in the G League. He was top three in blocks. That's fine. You can understand that. He was getting the, the, the 2.9 blocks a game. Yet there was another guy, Christ Kumaje, that was getting four blocks a game. He's not seven foot tall. So you, you kind of look at it like, okay, I get it. Taco started playing basketball later in life. He's still learning. I just don't think he's ready. He will be there, and it will be a great learning experience for him. And when the games are tight, if you need somebody to just block the rim on drives and the team is beating you off dribble penetration or they're abusing the perimeter D with pick and rolls, then you put Taco in because he will change their game plan. Fully understand that. I'd expect him, if he does crack the rotation, to be no more than an eight-minute-a-night guy. Tremont Waters, on the other hand, and I know you put this out, Mr. Wayne, you wanted to know what people were like between Tremont and Carson. So I'll let you break that down before we uh, we discuss that. Yeah, so you got Tremont Waters uh, and you got Carson Edwards. Carson Edwards have seen has seen more minutes on an NBA level. Uh, for his position that he's been playing, he comes in, plays the point. He could play off ball, but he's been a bit of a disappointment, right? He's been he's been a bit of a disappointment when it comes to his development. Before the season started, you know, and in, in that season, uh, the preseason, he was eating up the league. He was tearing it up. He was scoring. And you're like, yo, we're going to get a score. We finally have someone that can come in and just hit shots. And I'm not talking about regular shots. I'm talking about big shots. I'm talking about shots at buzzer beaters, like far away from the three-point line shots. I'm talking about big shots. Carson Edwards was that guy. This is when he had the dreadlocks. Then he decided to cut them at some point. And I don't know if that was his strength. I don't know what happened. But Carson Edwards play in the, on an NBA level. He started seeing those, you know, real NBA players, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, you know, all those type of players. And his, his it seemed like 
I, we talked about it on the show before, like his game, like the, like he, he's playing too fast for the game and he won't let, allow the game to, to slowly develop for him. So Carson Edwards' stats are a bit of a disappointment if you had if you had high expectations of Carson Edwards going into the season. Now he played 35 games, all right? He averaged about nine minutes a game. Um, he His field goal percentage was 32.7%. Uh, he had 1.2 rebounds and average 0.6 assists. So his main role was to come in, catch and shoot. Like, find your spot, get open, shoot it up. He wasn't the guy, the point guard, to come in there to get you assists or things like that. We have plenty of people that can handle the rock. He just needed to provide that. So then I mentioned Tremont Waters. You know, this is, you know, he, he tore the, he tore it up in the G League, right? MVP, MVP of the G League. All right, Tremont Waters, my Native, he's one of my kin. He's from Connecticut, man. Big up to Tremont. Uh, going, he played ten games in the NBA, right? He averaged almost nearly. What did he average? Eight point nine minutes, I believe. Now check this out. I know he played less, but he scored more. Three point three points. He averaged three point three points. His field goal percentage was higher at thirty four point three percent. His rebounds were higher at no, his rebounds were lower at 0.9, but his assists were higher at 1.2. So their stats are super identical for two point guards, um, undersized, uh, that are going to be on this this roster going into this playoffs. So to my, to my question to you guys, my question to everybody out there, like who do you want or who do you see getting more minutes or getting more playing time? Tim, I think the one stat you really need to look at because I have it up as well. Look at plus minus. Yes. You've got Edward. Edwards played 25 more games than Tremont Waters, but he's sporting a negative 47, whereas Tremont Waters is a plus 27. So in terms of overall positive impact on the floor and the difference in between, you're looking at Tremont Waters making more of a difference. I think that speaks to the usefulness of a player like that in terms of how useful he'll be for the Celtics in the playoffs. He's a guy that you can put on the floor and he's not going to hemorrhage points. He's not going to make stupid plays. He's not going to make selfish plays. Not to say that Edwards does that, but you're looking for a guy who's going to just come in and just manage what he has. He's not going to overwork. He's not going to do too much. He's not going to overextend or overcommit on a play. He's going to take care of the ball for you. And he's going to make a positive impact on the floor on both sides of the ball. For a guy that's a two-way contract, a younger guy that you're trying to develop, that's pretty good. At the end of the day, you're just bringing in a guy who he doesn't need to light it up. If he does, great. If not, as long as the very bare minimum, he's taking care of the ball, he's making the right choices on both sides of the floor, and he's staying within the system, that's all you want from a rotational guy. And I think if you're looking at the situation between Edwards and Waters, Waters is just an obvious choice when you compare the two. And it stinks because I do like Edwards and I think he could develop into something and he needs the minutes to develop into that. But he also has to work on stuff in terms of outside of just making his shots going because there's more to his game that he has to work on in order to actually become a solid rotational player in the league. Why do you think his, his, his plus or minus is, is so negative? Like, is it because he comes in, takes the shot, we don't get the rebound, boom, they get points off of it real quick. So it's almost like a turnover basically I think turnovers are probably an impact on it as well. I don't think he's great at taking care of the ball. He's smaller. So as you mentioned before, both are small stature guards, but 
if you're not taking care of the ball and you're not scoring points as an undersized player, you're going to get abused defensively and then you're just a net negative. If you're not putting in buckets and you're already undersized and a liability on defense because of your size, then yeah, you're going to just hemorrhage points. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, so see, the problem I've got with it is you look at plus minus and it is a really good stat. You can understand the player's impact, but it is based around the team and there's a lot of factors and metrics that can be used in terms of luck. You know, you... It's not a player's fault if somebody scores a free. It's not a player's fault if somebody hits their free throws. When I'm looking at plus minus, I do tend to look at performance impacts plus minus um, from B-ball index. Now, if I knew we were going to get onto point mi- uh, plus minus, I would have done my research on this and had the numbers in front of me. Basically, what PIPM is, yeah, player impact plus minus, the way that looks at it is it looks at your regular plus minus plus takes into account the box score, adjusts those values for look-based metrics, look-based metrics, and then gives you an impact rating per 100 possessions. It's a really respected, that would be the best term, it's a really respected and really good tool for measuring a player's impact. I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, but I will do. I'll put something out on Twitter tomorrow for his uh, PIPM. But when you're looking at Carson, I do like him. I think if he was a little bit taller, he'd be better served as a two-guard where he can play more off ball, find his spots, get his shots up. My biggest thing for him, and I've mentioned this recently on this show, is he raised, raised his game during March Madness. I'd expect him to be doing that again. If he does get the opportunity, he seems to be a guy that likes to perform under the spotlight. However... I do feel Tremont's done more and done enough to kind of move ahead of Carson in the rotation. If you want a guard to come off the bench and to break down defenses with penetration, to break them down with passing, and to offer a scoring threat from both on the interior underneath the basket, because that's what he's going to have to do, use the basket to protect his shot, and from the outside because he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's a reliable three-point shooter. If you need to bring somebody in because Brad Wanamaker's being schemed against or he's not on his night, then I'm going to feel more comfortable if Brad calls on Tremont than I am if Brad calls on Carson. I agree. Especially if you want the offense to stay fluid, right? Like you still want those guys to get into their spots um, so that he can get you the ball. The one thing that I love about Tremont that I like you know, more than I like about the other guards other than our starters is the simple fact that he finds the open guy. Like, he knows how to find the open guy. It's like the point guard position for him is simply like that. He's the the quarterback of the offense. He knows what to do. He knows what to do with the ball. Tim said that he protects the ball, which means he's not going to turn it over. He's not going to, you know, make the bad pass. He's going to read the defense and get the ball distributed to whoever is open. Um, and that's why I like Tremont. But there's something I love about Carson Edwards, and you nailed it on the head. You said that in the NCAA tournament that that he turned up. I just feel like when the pressure is on when it comes to this particular type of player, he plays bigger. And I don't know what that it means or what that is when it comes to Carson Edwards. I definitely think he'll get his opportunities. I just think that if things don't continue to flow um, the way that they're supposed to, when he has to play the one, you're going to see a transition. To, obviously, they're going to go with Brad Wanamaker. He's the veteran, right? They're going to go with that guy. But I really think that you're going to see a heavy dosage of Traymond. They're going to milk as much as they can out of that two-way contract. 
I I just really think Tremont's going to be up to the challenge, and all I can ask for Carson Edwards is to do what he does best, and that's score, uh, and protect the ball, and do all the things that he's known how to do all his life. It's the playoffs. He's going to be in it. It's going to be big moments. He's going to have good coaching. He's going to have great teammates. So I'm not looking negative at any one of these guys. This is what, this wasn't a negative tweet that I wanted to put out there. I just wanted to know what the Celtics fan base thought. Have they had have they seen a lot of Tremont? Have they seen enough Carson Edwards? If you had to pick one, who would you rock with? That's pretty much what it was. And from what you were stating, I'm not sure if I, if, if if I can pinpoint Adam what you're saying, but it sounds like you're saying that Tremont is the is more of the impact player than Carson Edwards. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, so in my opinion, I'm doing the stat work as we talk, actually. So I've pulled up Carson Edwards' player impact plus minus, both offensive, defensive, wins added, and overall. So we'll break these down. His overall POPM is minus 3.8. So that's not him as an individual. This is a player impact. So what, how him being on the floor with his team impacts the team's performance per 100 possessions. So per 100 possessions with Carson Edwards, and if he hasn't played those 100 possessions, then it will be per the amount of possessions he's played. Per 100 possessions, the Boston Celtics are minus 3.8 points better off so they're losing almost four points per 100 possessions when Carson is on the floor 3.4 of those points that they're losing come due to his offense he's in the second percentile for offensive player impact plus minus across the league he's one of the worst players in the league for for player impact plus minus a little bit better on defense they're only losing 0.4 points per 100 possessions when he's on defense so our outlook on him is pretty much on the money in terms of his impact. He's hurting the team offensively. Defensively, he's doing enough to be an, a negligible downside, but he's still in the 29th percentile on defense for player impact plus minus. So he's way better at defense in terms of impact than he is at offense because at offense, he's stinking it up. There's only two, That means just 98% of the league have a better impact rating than Carson Edwards. 98%. Woof. Yeah, dude. Um, it's one of those things where you, you kind of have to look elsewhere if you're looking for impact during the playoffs. And that's what I was figuring too, as much as I do like Carson. And I do agree that there is some level of mental aspect that goes into a player having such a good March Madness tournament. But we've seen time and time again, there have been March Madness darlings that get drafted into the NBA and they're never the player that people think they are. You know, some guys were able to carve out a few really good seasons, maybe an all-star birth or two. Christian Leitner did that, but. (laughs) Christian Leitner was one of the only guys I know that had Shaq's number. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? So it's very easy for a guy to have a really good tournament and then get drafted in a league and not be the player that people thought they were, or maybe just be good in specific situations. Maybe the playoffs where the pressure is highest is where they perform. There's plenty of guys who will have randomly good spurts in the postseason that you just didn't see coming. I mean, a really good example of that is Ennis Kanter. Ennis Kanter had an amazing playoff run last year. We've talked about it a little bit before, but like that was crazy. I don't think anyone expected that to happen, but I just wouldn't expect it from Carson. 
I just don't see it right now. I want to, trust me, I really want him to be hitting those shots that we've all come to expect from him, especially when he had such a run in the summer league. But if I had to put money on it, it would be Waters. I, I would expect Waters to come and make an impact, but I still would not be turning to the bench for a significant amount of points. I just don't see that happening either. It's why there's going to have to be a lot of meddling with rosters and just figuring out what the best lineup is for you while still also being able to stagger guys to try and keep some sense of offensive leadership and scoring on the floor. You want to go on impact for Tryman? I've just pulled that up too. I could look at his Raptor, his Raptor stats as well, but I feel like I want to dive into those more before I speak on them because I don't want to say something that's not true. In terms of player impact plus minus though for Tremont, granted it's a far smaller sample size so it's harder to judge against NBA level talent. But then you look at what he did in the G League compared to what Carson did in the G League and we're kind of splitting hairs at that point. We know that Tremont played better in the G League. We've seen that he fits better in the NBA within the Celtic system than what Carson apparently does. Tremont, offensive player impact plus minus. The team's only a shade under breaking even. They're 0.4 points worse per 100 possessions with Tremont on the floor. Defensively, they break bang even. They don't lose any points. They don't gain any points per 100 possessions. Probably because they hide him. Probably because he's playing such short minutes that he very rarely plays a defensive possession. I don't know. Overall, looking at just the impact plus minus, adjusting for the look metrics of free throws and rebounds, you go with Tremont for impact. He's the guy that's going to come off the bench and give you that impact. I'm sold on that. I've talked myself into it. I'm looking at the stats right now. I'm very happy with these stats. He'd he be doing people some nice... 44 percentile in player productivity for DraftKings fantasy points. If he's playing and you want a nice little spark off your fantasy team, you go pick up Tremont Waters. I agree. Let, let me ask you this question. What, what was Nate Robinson's height? <laughs> I'm just curious because we talk a lot about height. I think he's five foot nine or five foot eleven. So that's still taller than Tremont Waters. Let he was five nine. He was five ah, nine. There we go. And Tremont is no, he's five ten. Okay. That makes me feel better. Now, the difference between, to me, the difference between a Nate Robinson and a Tremont Waters, Nate Robinson was a dynamic, like, dunker, right? He wasn't, he wasn't your average point guard, playmaking point guard type person, but he did bring an energy. He did let, he did help team. I mean, this guy had a big baby, like, all-star, peaking at the all-star level, right? Like, so... I just think that Tremont, like because, and the reason why I brought him up was the simple fact I wanted to compare sizes because I know size does matter, especially with these tall guards in the NBA, like six four, six five, six six. Then you got your Giannis's and your Ben, uh, Ben, um, what's his name, Gordon, whatever his name is. You got those guys, them tall dudes, like playing point guard. LeBron every now and then, like, I get it. Like, they're, they're not your average size point guards. So when you got to bring in a Tremont, it's definitely, you know, a handicap when it comes to size. I just think with you going over those stats and without you even having to mention a player impact stat ever in my entire life, I just know what I see. And I see Tremont just grasping the concept of Celtics basketball. We all always, we always say 
God darn it, why don't we pass the ball? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why do we take the shot? First person comes in and shoots it. But then when we get players that come in and the ball starts rotating, we're so much more happier as Celtic fans. Maybe maybe not here on this podcast, but I know on these other groups, they, they do not like the first person Celtic player. They don't like the Kyrie Irvins and those type of players that just ball dominant, right? They want guys to come in to distribute, you know, pass the ball until the ball rotates and it's they're wide open to take the best shot. They, they want the highest percentage shot all the time. So I just feel like Tremont provides that. And I know this isn't the Tremont Water show or whatnot. I just feel like what we see and what we feel, Mike, I wonder if Brad Stevens see, sees or feels somewhat sort of the same way. Because why didn't he give Tremont more chances? Right? Like, that that's the question in the room. Like, why wasn't Tremont giving more chances? Was it because Carson Edwards was a draft pick and you could get Tremont on a cheaper contract? Like, what was it? Or was it height like um, Adam talked about earlier? He just wasn't tall enough. What is it? Like, why doesn't Brad Stevens or why do we think Brad Stevens doesn't see the things that we've seen? I'm sure he's watching film more than we are and I'm sure he sees it. But what is really the issue? With two-way guys, you can only have a certain amount of days in the league. Okay. So you, you can only have 45 days total in the league. That's not games, that's days. So if you're... If you're with the team traveling and you play one game in four days, but you're on the road and that play, that two-way guy is effectively with you, you only have 41 days left. So your amount of time that you can give them is limited. You also need to make sure that your rotation guys that are playing, that are on guaranteed contracts, are getting their minutes to get their reps in for when the, the okay. playoffs come around. They guaranteed Carson's contract for three year, four years. Three years are guaranteed. The last one's a team option. So they were going to give Carson more time to develop and more opportunities because he's on the books for the next three years minimum. Whereas Tremont, if he didn't pan out the way they wanted him to, they can cut bait with him at the end of the season. No, no harm, no foul. It probably looks at the moment, and I'm assuming, I think we're going to see a resurgence from Carson probably next year or, the, or maybe in his third year. But at the moment, it looks like they guaranteed the wrong guy. That's my opinion, but that would be why they didn't give him the opportunities that they gave to Carson, simply because of days. Same reason Taco only played sparingly as well. I think that leads us to break, right? I mean, we're going on break, guys. So we spoke about Tremont and Carson. I mean, that's done. We spoke about them quite heavily the last couple of episodes. Some news has came out. The Kings picked up Corey Brewer. They were one of the, the first team to make a transaction. I don't see how that elevates them too much, but it does bleed into a theory that a lot of people have had over Twitter. Uh, there's been some articles about it, that teams are going to pursue guys that already know their system. How do you guys feel that's going to affect other teams around the league? They're going to be looking at guys that have played in their system recently or played under the, the coach in charge of that team recently so that they can kind of come in and make an impact without needing to learn a whole new playbook. I think it opens the door for certain teams to bring in a guy like Isaiah Thomas or maybe a another big... A certain team, right? A certain team. A certain team, you know... I, I mean, hey, I've always kind of gotten in my soapbox for Isaiah, but I also would probably consider a guy who's been out of the league for a little bit 
I really, really like Jordan Crawford. He had a little stint with Boston. He's pretty nice, pretty explosive, just a very memeable player. But I like, I like Jordan Crawford as well. He's a guy who I could see maybe a team like New Orleans wants to pick him up. I know that they originally when they had, I think, waived him or released him, they didn't want to and were trying to figure out a way to keep him. So if he's not on an NBA deal with someone or if he's not you know, on a contract in China or something like that, I think he should be able to sign. I know that it kind of gets funky with some of the guys who are playing internationally, but he's another guy that would be kind of cool to see a team pick up. So here's a question. I'm kind of aiming this towards Wayne because I want to see Wayne's reaction to this. During the trade deadline, everybody wanted David Batons to be traded for from Boston. People were calling for a couple of picks, maybe Carson Edwards, maybe Romeo to be packaged to bring in Batons shooting. With Batons choosing to sit out, do you feel like the Celtics made the right decision in standing pat? How would you be feeling right now? <laughs> the Celtics, obviously they made the right decision, right? They didn't pull the trigger on that trade. Uh, and it's funny because... I didn't know he was. I didn't know he was injured. Like I didn't know he had gotten like injured for, from the Wizards to where he's deciding to sit out for the, or opting out for this tournament due to uh, concerns of, of of free agency and things like that. So it would have been a rental, though. It would have been a an ex and it would have been a. I don't want to say a super high expensive rental, but did we really need that? Did we? Did we really? Did we really need Davis Berton shooting? For the Celtics, when you have a guy like Daniel Tice that can shoot, uh, I, who else is developing? It's a Cantor's uh, trying to hit threes. I don't want to see Robert Williams ever take a three, uh, and Taco Fall shouldn't shoot a three either. But Grant Williams is hitting threes. Like you're seeing the three. You, the one thing that I love about watching the Celtics under this regime with Brad Stevens is whatever big comes in here is going to develop a three-point shot because apparently that's the type of system that he runs, right? He runs where he takes the big and stretches out the 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 uh the floor. So we watch Al Horford become a good great three-point shooter. We watch Aaron Baines turn into a three-point shooter who I would love to get back on the Celtics. So if we could get Aaron Baines back some way somehow next year in free agency, I would slap you guys high fives. Um but yeah, so I I'm, I'm glad that they didn't pull or pull the trigger on that trade because it would have come back to bite us in the booty, right? Because we would be stuck right now with the guy that we gave up some capital and probably would have had to give up a pick as well, right? And then all of a sudden, he wouldn't be able to play. Now, the question is, if he was a Celtic, though, would he really be worrying about this injury, especially knowing that he has a chance of actually winning? You get what I'm saying? Like that, you got to factor that in there, too. I think the big thing for him is the payday as well. I think there is the factor of having a chance to actually compete and make a, a serious impact on a legitimate contender versus I also have to worry about probably the last chance I'm going to have to get a decent payday because he's coming off a career season right now. He's shooting the three ball in an absurd clip. So from his perspective, there's two risks to it. I could, hurt myself trying to come back from this injury and I could also get COVID-19 and that could set me back big time. Whereas the team that he's with right now, Washington is making him a top priority. So there were a couple different sides to it from a Celtics fan perspective. I personally was really upset. Adam and I had a podcast, I believe 
right after the deadline, being very upset at Danny Ainge for not making a move, especially that deal for Davis Bertans. Uh, that being said, you know, if he sits out, he sits out. Once again, this comes down to what players feel comfortable doing. It would have been a massive loss for Boston to have moved two or even three first-round picks plus money to match in order to get a guy like him in the room. But at the same side of it, they're still going to have to make a move at some point. But I don't think his decision would have changed in terms of am I going to sit or am I going to play in Orlando. I don't think it would have changed too much because at the end of the day, with the cap situation kind of being up in the air for what's going to happen next season, he's going to be looking for money. So I can see him trying to watch out for his money first, because this is probably going to be the biggest payday he's going to get in his whole career. I mean, that segues us beautifully, absolutely beautifully. A lot of the guys, Jason Tatum, players of that level, that caliber that are coming into a contract year, have been told they're going to get insurance. They're going to be insured for several, air quotes, this is what the report said, several million dollars should they sustain career-ending or career-altering injuries or sickness. Is that enough? Is several million dollars enough? When you're talking, Jason Tatum is coming onto what is essentially a $120 million contract. Is several million enough of an insurance how do you go? What's your guys' take on that? Do you think that makes ensures these guys play, or does that make them more nervous about entering this bubble? I think it's twofold, right? So, one is getting several million dollars in insurance is one thing, but also being able to say, "Let's allow you to negotiate an extension now with your respective team." So they talked about that before. I don't know if it's going to actually become officially an option, but. Younger players who have a chance to sign, you know, a super max or max contract extension, that should be available for players to do before we get into play. It should, you know, maybe they have a deadline before play starts and they have a cutoff then. You can't make any more extension talks until after this elongated resumed season. But I think they should have that on the floor for players just in case beyond just the just the insurance, but I think allowing guys to come to an agreement. Personally, from a Celtics fan perspective, I would much rather know that Jason Tatum is signed and extended and that that number becomes official later on in the summer, but I would love to know that they made an agreement, it will happen, the extension will happen, and it'll kick in on X date in the summer. Just because I've been looking at stats while we're talking, I'd like to just point out that Jason Tatum is in the top 2% of players in the league for impact metrics. Only 2% of guys in the league are impacting the game more than Jason Tatum. I'd just like to point that out because we're talking about $120 million potential contract with several million of insurance. Wayne, how do you feel about it, man? What's your take on this? I think that the NBA... It's a start, and I think that the NBA is trending the right toward the right way to to get these guys some security when it comes to playing um, the sport, especially during the times that we're going through with with COVID or injury based during this specific point of uh, period of time. I can't say if it's a lot enough money, you know. Um, it's it's hard to to determine what's a lot of money. I know for me personally, being insured a couple million dollars, that works. I understand for these guys because they're already million dollar men. 
it, they, they want more or they want more security. And that's what it comes down to. If the players are rebutting it, then I got to go with the players. But if the players aren't refuting this or disputing this, this, this offer by the NBA, then it sounds like it's a great deal. I felt like the NBA is getting it right. I, and I think I tweeted that early this morning or I, po I posted it somewhere. The NBA, I feel like, is getting it right. And I need the rest of the sports world to figure it out, too. If you want to see sports, you need to provide some type of job security for your players, for your employees. If not, you're not going to have any employees. You're not going to make the millions of dollars you want from this sport because players aren't going to want to play. I can't really sit here and determine if it's a lot of money or enough money. I will say it's a start. I think that's fair to say that the NBA is on the right path and doing something. And I'm hoping the other leagues and the other organizations follow the same path, even with the NFL, MLB, ML, ML, soccer, whatever all these other leagues are. I feel like they'll, they'll do some of the same things. Uh, with Jason Tatum being 100, well, they're going to they're gonna try to give him this super max, right? That's the whole, that's the story. They're going to give him that max deal or whatnot. Uh, this probably isn't enough money when you're dealing with a contract like that. I just hope that these guys, if willing, are comfortable out there uh, to go out and play and not have to worry about, you know, if I get injured, is my money guaranteed? Is this, uh, it's just so many things that can possibly happen during this little short period of time that we want basketball to return due to all the stuff that's going on. So I really can't say if it's, if it's good, if it's bad. I just want to, I just think it's a, it's a fair start. And while we're talking about contracts, we can leave this as the last topic of discussion. Gordon Hayward's not going to have long to make a decision following the end of the season on what he wants to do contractually. Wayne, I remember you messaged us in the group earlier today. I think it's going to be like, what, like a week, three weeks? It's, it's a really short amount of time to decide whether you're opting in or opting out. 17th of October. So less than a week. Because I think the last, last game of the NBA Finals is going to be October 12th, I so AD will be a few days earlier and obviously his decision could end up shaping the landscape. In my opinion, if Hayward wants to get paid and AD opts in and then, then Hayward decides to opt out, Hayward is the biggest level talent in this year's free agency class, which means he would get the biggest offer sheet. Correct. If he feels like he can maximize his earning potential by opting in, and then performing well next year, and he banks on himself to increase his value again through his play next year, then he's going to do that. But does the way the Celtics perform during the playoffs have, it's got to weigh on him, right? If they, if they have an early exit, which I doubt's possible, but I'm quite a big believer in the Celtics making a deep run this year. But if for some freak occurrence, there was an early exit, how much does that alter Hayward not having enough time to compartmentalize what happened in the playoffs to having to make that decision? That's a tough one because it's, you're asking a guy to make a decision. You're, you're, I feel like Hayward, I don't know how Hayward feels. If I was Hayward though, I would feel like I still want to make a stamp or leave a, a good impression in Boston. I, first season injury, 
and then he's been rebounding ever since. Now he can go and possibly get more money elsewhere because we're talking about money, right? So when we're talking about money, that means cats are going to take their talents, probably whoever's going to offer them the most money and the most security. We just talked about that. Uh, and I can't get mad at him for doing that. Uh, but maybe him and Brad, are, they have some type of tie where they're understanding and you'll, you'll see him opt in for another season and boom Gordon Haywood's there will he start that's another show uh but will he be an impact I obviously I, I I honestly think he will be and I think that by saying that I think Gordon Haywood will be the x factor in this tournament I think we started to see it last year in the playoffs and I think this year he will become the x factor in this tournament and I'm I'm, I'm done with that I think Gordon Hayward is probably your best all-around player. He does everything well, and he does it at a level that initiates other players to have an impact on the floor. That being said, considering the contract situations, I think it's far more likely that you see him opt in, regardless of how the playoffs end up for the Celtics. That being said, I'm along the same mindset of Adam. I think the Celtics are ramped up especially if they are at 100% health and they've got guys like Robert Williams able to contribute. And you've got Gordon Hayward, who's had a resurgence this year. And finally, back to what we've expected from Gordon Hayward on both sides of the ball. I think the Celtics are geared up for a good run. And I think that they, as long as they you know, get a decent matchup in that first round, I think they can make it as far as the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's a reasonable goal. I don't think that's where they could cap out, but – being a reasonable fan, I think that's a decent goal for them at the very bare minimum. Now, with Gordon's situation, I think you see him opt in just because of the uncertainties of the salary cap, how that might change the year after. You're looking at another situation where finally I got my legs under me, no pun intended, got my legs under me in the system, and I'm getting back to the swing of playing NBA basketball. Why don't I run it back? We just got Kemba. Jason and Jalen are starting to morph into the players that they were promised to be. And I can be the fourth option on a championship team. So for that perspective, too, getting a little bit more money down the line, spreading that money out, getting a longer insured deal, especially as a guy with health concerns and injury concerns, I think that would go a long way. So with Gordon in mind, I think he opts in, and then you see him sign an extension maybe next year, or you see him opt out and just get a guaranteed contract while he can because – it's not like there are a bunch of other teams that could throw money at him and also let him contend. I think there are teams who are on the rise, who are young teams like Atlanta is a big example of that, where they're going to have a lot of money to throw around, but they're not going to be higher than the Celtics. Like, I just don't see that happening. So you have to consider that from Gordon's perspective. The only other team I could see him going to, other than somehow a magical Utah turnheel redemption tour, uh, the only other team I could see him potentially going to is maybe Indiana, just because from a home perspective. But I, I see him staying with the Celtics. Yeah, a lot of it's going to come down to how much he values winning as well. Any team that can pay him north of 25 mil a season isn't really a contending team at the moment. Granted, they bring him in, they're going to elevate their opportunities and make in the playoffs. But they still have to get through Milwaukee, they have to get through Philly, they have to get through Boston. If he goes west, they have to get through LA. Both LAs, Portland are no joke when the playoffs roll around. Denver's looking insanely talented at the moment. His best chance of winning a championship is by staying with Boston. That team's already loaded. 
he can operate as a fourth option, third, second, or first, depending on what the defense are giving up at any minute, any given time. Yeah, Hayward, man, I want Hayward on the team, dude. I want him going nowhere. He's my boy. He let me. He let me speak to him. He's my friend. <laughs> He's not actually my friend. Please don't actually think that's serious. But I definitely want Hayward on this team. I know I've spoken about him being slow and things like that over time. But it's something about him when he's on that court, man. He, it, it, the vision that he has, the way he's able to. How I, is it me or is Hayward like the best slasher we got on the team? And and that's not bad. I just feel like he knows how to get to the basket. Like he can get to the. And you know what he does? He draws contact. Go figure, right? So once once he gets his shot back, once he gets them legs back and that shot back, I'm telling you, in these playoffs right here. And you can mark this down on June 23rd or whatever the date is. He will be the X factor for the Boston Celtics. And Gordon Hayward will remain a Celtic. I'm saying it right now. So that pretty much wraps us up for today's show. We will be back on Friday. We missed Monday due to Father's Day on Sunday when we record. Wayne and myself are fathers. We were living our best lives with the kids. Absolutely. Living his life up in New Hampshire by a lake somewhere, being all sorts of rich and we'll catch you again on Friday. (laughs) 